Salatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Welcome everybody to the Nothing But Facts live stream presented to you by Safina Society. And today we are on the stories of the awliya which we will be covering. Al-Harith Al-Muhasibi, one of the greatest awliya uh, and scholars of our time. He was a, uh, a colleague or maybe we could say he lived alongside of the great Ahmed ibn Hanbal. And they were rivals, not rivals, but Imam Ahmad disagreed basically with his methodology because as we will see, Imam Al-Harith Al-Muhasibi was one of the pioneers of Kalam, Ilm Al-Kalam. He was one of the pioneers of the concept of refuting heretical ideas using the uh, methodologies, uh, using rational methodologies, arguments, as opposed to just the book, the transmitted knowledges and the transmitted sources. But before we get that, I want to address um, an issue that's pretty, uh, should be cut and dry, uh, that's happening in Dearborn, because this is sort of the affairs of the Ummah. Out in Dearborn, Michigan. Now, if you're in England, you don't really know about Dearborn, Michigan. Essentially, it's the closest thing that we have here to Edgware Road, but more. It's even more. Dearborn, Michigan is the house of Ford Motor Cars. It's the, it's the headquarters of Ford Motor Cars. And there's Michigan Avenue. At the end of Michigan Avenue is Ford, the headquarters for Ford Motor Cars, which totally needs to be revamped. Like No one's paying attention in that company. All the way at the other end of Michigan Ave., is GM. And Michigan Ave goes all the way down to Chicago after that. Well, from one end to the other, the Yemenis are, were employed like in mass in Dearborn. So what happened was that there was a, a, a freight train, a freight ship, like a ship, coming from China to America. And this was coming with supplies for Ford motor cars. So, hey, come on in, mashallah, for Ford motor cars. And, uh, Henry Ford himself, he knew that this thing was stopping and he was looking for cheap labor that, of people who spoke English. Come on in. This is the camera that's working. So you can cross between the two cams. Come on in. So he knew that uh, he was looking for cheap labor and he knew that this thing is stopping in Aden. The, sh- the ship is stopping in Aden, in, uh, Yemen. So it stops in Yemen as like a take a break, I guess. And the British at that time had colonized Yemen, they were in control in Yemen. So the, the average worker spoke a, cup, a, a word or two of English. As a result of that, he said, let's go with these people, these Yemenis. And he brought truckloads or shiploads, I should say, of Yemenis onto the ship and then brought them back. And they started working in his factory, cheap labor, basically. And then he ended up uh, ha- having a system where they could you know, bring the relatives over. So eventually... All, all of Dearborn became filled with these Yemeni Ford employees. So the entire city of Dearborn is pretty much a majority Muslim at this point, if I'm not mistaken about the statistics. Lebanese came over later, but essentially the, the major population is the Yemeni population. So the issue that's going on in Yemen, uh, in Dearborn, is that the public schools have books that are essentially pornographic. Did you see this, Sahib? L- just look at the image. Look at this. It's a cartoon. Right? Araya, I just sent it to your WhatsApp. You don't even want to see it, man. You don't even want to see it. 
You got the image when I when I, I basically what I said earlier. So I can't believe that the Muslims are swallowing this lock, stock, and barrel, right? Because the Muslim politicians, so the people, the Muslim, the, the regular people are objecting to this. They're like, like, what is this, right? We don't want these books in our library. Aren't we taxpayers? So what ends up happening is that who's caught in the middle? The Muslim politicians, who are always, I think, Democrats. And even this, this, this I, I guess it's their mayor, Abdullah Hamoud. I, I guess he's, a, he's caught in the middle. And then um, he ends up siding with the liberals and the Democrats and saying this is, you know, uh, there isn't the day it passes. I don't feel pride in being a part of this country. And it's a democracy, blah, blah, blah. And he's using all these wonderful words, liberty, freedom, healthy debate, to allow in this poison. Just call it what it is. And Yamama says basically the uh, city libraries, the, 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 they had a board meeting in this, on this. The school libraries have come out with a statement against this. City libraries are a total different story. Okay. But the Muslim politician is what I'm pointing to here. Right. The Muslim politician. You have zero. You're a complete zero. Right. <laughs> you are a negative and a complete zero. If you will actually sell yourself you will sell to your brain that this is part of hey this is diversity this is we don't restrict access to information right really we don't restrict what about um nazi books are they there right oh they promote violence against other people okay well who said violence against other people is bad right some you have a source that told you that violence against other people is bad. What's your source for that? Um, my intellect. All right, well, that's the problem right there. You as a Muslim politician have basically sloughed off another source of your morality. Where's the other source of your morality? Allah. We have the responsibility to raise our children with the values we hold dear, Okay? Our children are watching. We have a duty to protect the dignity of our neighbors. Dignity of pornographic... I know. Tell the other side of this. Dignity of our neighbors. Okay? I didn't even expect this picture to be what it, what it was. Okay? Like little five, seven, eight-year-old kids doing homosexual acts. In the, in the book. Like completely extra... Like, so dignity now, look at the words that are being used to usher in this, this trash and this poison. I can't believe it. We have to ensure that our hometown never loses its welcoming spirit, welcome Iblis, into the, into the operation. As mayor, it's my responsibility to ensure that our children have the tools to create their own future, to create their own Jahannam. Right, so he the 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 the, the lens of, of Dean is gone from the Muslim politician completely. That's what I'm saying. As whether you're a politician or not, you're still a abd of Allah who's accountable to His law. Period. Discussion over. Right, wherever you are, that's the difference between a Muslim and just a secular like Christian or Jew. If if I'm a doctor, if I have my own business. Wherever I am, I am Abd of Allah. 
This is the meaning of, he is your God in the heavens and in the earth, meaning you are liable to answer his, to his law everywhere. You can't slough off half your religion just because I'm a senator and I have to go by this law, or I'm a governor and I have to operate by this law or that law. That's the whole point of what secularism is. So have we become completely secular? Now listen to this. Non-Muslims are responding. Non-Muslims are responding to this. Okay. Now, the non-Muslims are on both sides. And I expect the Muslims to be on the other side. No. The other side is split too. Where... Okay. Where some most other Muslim politicians are supporting this. Then... Non-Muslims are criticizing those Muslims and saying, like, what, what Islam is this? Then when the not when a kafir is calling you a fasiq, you got problems, right? That's essentially what's going on here. When a kafir is calling you a fasiq, okay, we got some serious problems. SubhanAllah. And here and if you go down to the, the comment section, you got kuffar calling right uh Muslims fasiqin. Essentially, that's what it is. Okay, and Yamama, where is the where is your uh she's saying that there is something of a difference between the public libraries, school libraries? That's fine, there could be a difference, but as a Muslim, if you're a mayor, are you just gonna you there is a your your the law that you swore to uphold contradicts essentially the law that you are bound to with your God. Pick one. And he's obviously made his choice. He's made his choice. Any words spoken after that about, oh, well, Islam and Muhammad, Allah, that's meaningless. It's meaningless. Because when push comes to shove, that's the law that you're going to side with. Right? So this is why a lot of friends of mine have come to the realization that it's pretty much a, um, it's pretty much a, uh, a dead end. Can't really go into so much, uh, so deep into law. Uh, or into politics, because the two systems of laws derive from two total sources, different sources, and two completely different um, views of reality, completely. That's cosmology. Like, the view of reality is cosmology. That produces an epistemology. And epistemology produces your law, essentially, right? Then methodology and, and, and law, Okay. So it's just like a sad thing to see, but uh, we got to say something. We can't just let this stuff just pass by and no one comments, right? There's got to be some kind of uh, recognition here that, that there's a major problem when people go into law, and that's a simple problem. You're claiming to come and... Uh, your God gave you a playbook. The law gave you a playbook. The, the, the state gave you a different playbook. Which one are you going to use? That's it. One says run the route to the right. The other says run the route to the left. That's all that matters. Which one are you going to go to? I mean, you're going to say, I, I'm going to do, and both there, there's no contradiction. Here you have a contradiction. And we see where they go, right? Terrible. I mean, it's it's, it's pretty simple issue, but you're going to, uh, pornography for kids, and that's where you're going to buckle on. Like, you're not even buckling on anything complex. This is just, okay. I mean, okay. Be careful for your own home. That's what I tell your kids. Tell this mayor and whoever it is supporting this of Muslims, the, the answer is start watching out for your kids. Because if you allow a fitna to enter into everyone's home, you're one of them. You're one of those homes. Your kids are one of those homes. That's why sometimes the best answer to a moral question, would you let your kids do it, right? Are you okay with your own daughter being that? 
this this picture you're saying you're okay with your son doing that because you're allowing it for other people in our deen Allah's watching you allow something for other people let it happen to you right all right what did she say where's the statement all right let's get the statement just so that we're this is our, our portion before we get into the stories of that this is our portion of essentially uh, the news because we didn't do any of the, of the news yesterday and this is our portion of the news. So here's this uh, supp- supposed statement from where is it? Al-Yamama, waiting. She's, the, she's a strong student in Maliki Fiqh, by the way. She takes the class. We're waiting for the statement just for the sake of I mean, we don't even really need to read the statement. Does it make a difference to me? Oh, yeah, here it is. Thank you. Dearborn Public Schools believe the media, material, materials, graphic and or gratuitous violence, sexual content, expletives, or hate speech, and without literary or educational merit, should not be included. This is from the school libraries. Okay. Now, yeah, any of tell me, so this Dearborn guy, is he talking about the, the public libraries? First of all, it's a moot point because no kids go to the public library in the first place. When was the last time a book was checked out? You know the guy whose job it is to put the books back? He's unemployed, right? I used to see that job. Oh, there's books everywhere, and he's got piles of books, and he's got to put them back, right, on the call, based on the call number. That guy's unemployed. Plus, nobody reads books. What's on the internet and people's phones is a million times worse. That, that's irrelevant, right? The issue here is, like, you had a, a test. You were tested with a pretty big test because you're going to have to like basically leave your party, go against your party. You're going to leave your job, but then again, you should have looked in advance that this is likely to happen. So in a sense, it's a big test, but the issue is so basic and simple. you got to say no to something like this. Basically, porn cartoons to kids. Pull your mic and, and stick Suhaib's mic on. Uh, what's, what's interesting is that uh, if you look at the political climate today as a whole or just uh, politics in the United States in general or anywhere yeah. in the world uh, as you mentioned earlier it comes down to epistemology but there is a subjective element to that that even if and that's what's so disturbing that even if you are afraid that you might come out and say something that could result in some blowback or canceling or what have you there are arguments that you could easily make that don't necessarily address the issue head on, but still have the ultimate same impact. So, for example, mm-hmm. um, if you look at Hollywood, and I think there's an article in Yaqeen that actually went through the whole timeline of how we got to where we are today with a lot of this stuff with respect to Hollywood and the like, but it, it's right on point with respect to the fact that with sexuality and the emergence of birth control and the birth control pill leading to a complete change of the way sexuality was viewed. Yeah. It was a much more pure, uh, a puritanical view of sexuality as a whole in society. If you watch the old sitcoms from the 40s and 50s, the husbands and wives would sleep in separate beds. They yeah. wouldn't sleep, uh, you know, there was not even a, the, you know, they wouldn't even use the language uh, related to uh, sexuality that we hear today. It was, it was a very private matter. Yeah. And, and I was reminded of a film, not to go off a tangent, but I was reminded of a film called Life is Beautiful. And it was a movie that, uh, was about uh, the Holocaust. And there was a scene in the movie, uh, and because, you know, films and stories have to deal with the realities of life. You know, there are relationships, there are marriages and what have you. And I still remember there was a scene in the movie that tackled issues of 
uh, you know, I guess you could say uh, intimate relationships mm-hmm. in a very subtle fashion. So there's a scene where a man and a woman are walking through the streets and you can tell that they are attracted to one another. And she uh, follows the man, or I'm sorry, the man follows the woman to her house and, you know, she, he's about to say goodbye to her and then she says, you know, why don't you come in? Mm-hmm. And then they just follow them going into the house and then the next scene literally is the door opening up and the mother, uh, the woman has a baby in her arms and you don't have to show anything. You can clearly see that something happened. They eventually fell in love, got married, had children, what have you. So there was nothing shown with respect to any of those acts. Yeah. So when you see cartoons like this, any subject related to uh, private matters, or even if you want to talk about violence as well, you don't necessarily have to show everything. So what's so disturbing to me is that politicians and others in these spaces are either so uh, obtuse in their way of looking at things or so afraid or maybe just not concerned at all that they don't realize that, look, there are ways that we can still achieve our goals without having to explicitly compromise. Because when you're dealing with secular uh, points of view, yeah. religious perspectives on things, that epistemology is not going to come into play. You have to present things in a fashion that's going to rationally make sense to the others. And at the end of the day, Whatever our intentions are, that, that that's our, that's between us and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the goal should be consistent with our deen. And as long as you're not compromising your principles, if there's a way to get around that, using your own logic, using their logic, we should utilize that. There, there may be, and sometimes there won't be, right? Sometimes there won't be, Somet- that's true. Because in this our, case, there is, though. this case, there is. I mean, the, the, the librarian said it fine. They said, where's the educational merit in this, right? There's no educational merit in this. Uh, there, some people are saying it's the it's the public library, not the school library. It's insignificant. It's irrelevant. Both share the same quality that no kids are reading in those libraries. Let's be honest, right? And what's in the what's on their phones is ten thousand times worse than what's in the library. But the issue is the Muslim politician, like he didn't even go the route what you're saying of um, attempting to say no, no, we have to stop. There's no merit, educational merit. Well, listen to this guy, a guy named Abbas. Is, is posting excellent stand protecting children's freedom to learn freedom to learn about uh, about shar and your name is a muslim name i don't understand what law are people now living by sacred law has been like completely we forgot it anyway uh hamza re- response so libraries having children's books with vulgar and sexual content fall under freedom to learn okay and again i think that what's even uh, more disappointing is the fact that there are people from other religious communities and other traditions and even people who aren't from religious traditions who are looking for others to take the lead and to actually present these things because uh, it's just like uh, the bully that no one wants to stand up to. It just takes one or two people to stand up and then the whole group will stand up between them. That's how it is. You're dealing with the bully. Look look what this one says. A woman, a a non-Muslim woman, right? She's not even a Muslim. She says... They're supporting a political party that wants drag queens in every school. Well, maybe she is a Muslim. I don't know. Because in Dearborn, everything's mixed. Right? But you have some non-Muslims that are, like, totally against this, too. And are su- surprised to see Muslims uh, supporting this. But again, it's a simple matter. And I think it was, like, um, Aristotle or some, uh, some, you know, wasn't even a Muslim who said, like, way before Islam, if your God, if God told me to go one way, and the King told me to go another way, 
right? I'll go God's way because the king can only kill me once and I live with God for eternity. Think about this, right? The king can only kill you once, but you live with God for an eternity after you die. So it's just mathematically if you have to do this. And, and to bring it back to, to Dean, I mean, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran that people are born on fitrah and yeah. it's their parents that make them Jews, Christians, Magians. Yeah. And that the prophets were sent as reminders. So it seems like in the present climate that people have gone down this road. At some point, remind people what they lost as well. Because I think even in our country here, people, Muslim and non-Muslim, realize that things are not going in a direction that's actually going to be beneficial to the whole, the collective whole. Yeah. And looking at what happened to the, you know, in the past, the wisdom of the ancients, that's why it's called the wisdom of the ancients. There is wisdom there. So I yeah. think, again, the Muslims have a responsibility to take the lead or at least start the discussion. Sometimes you got to just admit there's nothing, there's nowhere to go. There are dead ends in life, right? This type of pol politics for Muslims mostly, it's like a dead end. Okay, here's Hanin Mahbuba. All right, and the, uh, so she says, why is it that Muslims are always assimilating once they hold an office position? Yet we don't see anyone else from the other faiths do the same. Why are we so easy? Well, they always do the same. There's always secularists in every religion. Why are we so easily persuaded and give up on our values? Like, this is a very simple thing. Malcolm X once said, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. The martyrdom of Imam Hussein, which just passed, should be a reminder to us all that it's important to stand up for the truth, even if you're going to get killed, right? She didn't say that, I said that. She says, even if it be against your own self, remember me when the truth becomes alone and sad. Stand up for your beliefs. I hope, I had hope one day raising my children under the guidance of a Muslim mayor that I believe will represent our interest in good faith, but it seems I was wrong. Yes, you were wrong. To run your campaign based on being the first Muslim mayor, and then when it comes down to actually push comes to shove, you choose a non-Muslim interest over what is clearly right in Islam. You chose to become indifferent. We don't need the first. We need the real. Pretty well. Authentic representation of our morals. Enough sellouts. Wow. All right. Jay, can I ask one question? So yeah. With respect to the Muslim approach to politics as a whole, even though we're dealing with this situation as it is now, if mm -hmm. you read the lives of, uh, say, Imam Malik, Rahimullah, Imam Abu Hanifa, Rahimullah, all the great shukrat history, did they not make it a very clear principle that there should be a separation between deen and politics, that it, regardless of the society or culture, there's always the possibility of being compromised if you rub shoulders with them too long. It's 100%, and, and that's... Like, going into politics, if it was all halal, is a problem, spiritually speaking, for an individual. It's a necessity, right? So, but when it comes to, like, literally, you have a fork in the road, and, and you choose this route, it just seems to me that we've lost sight of our personal responsibility, okay? Like you do still have a responsibility towards your creator, whatever happens to that. Anyway. It's just um, one of those things that you think is something that it's such a no-brainer, but in this day and age, nothing is a no-brainer. Uh, I'm, I'm sitting with Soheb today, Soheb Awan, and uh, that was our little um, 
thing about and then i asked myself why am i surprised but sometimes you're supposed to make yourself upset certain things the prophet as prophet said said when you pass by a place of adab a city where punishment took place make yourself upset if you're not upset make yourself upset some things when you see um certain things you got to make yourself upset right all right today let's move on segment numero dos in our live stream today this is one of the books that should be on everybody's shelf it's a translation of Risalat al-Mustarshidin Treatise for the Seekers of Guidance I wonder if it's still even in press uh, or in print I should say I don't even hmm? I have all the extra ones sitting on my kitchen table and they're, they're the Arabic ones but I will bring them all inshallah I'm going to go home between the stream and the and the daughter Fatih classes and I'm going to bring them with me so, it's available. Wonderful. It is available. Alhamdulillah. That, um, what's going on here? All right. The biography of Sayyidina Imam al Harith al Muhasibi. First of all, where did he grow up? Al-Hadith al-Muhasibi was from the port city of Basra and he was um, part of the early history. So he is from the fourth generation, fourth and fifth generation. So from the first generation, we have Hassan al-Basri. We're talking about first, sorry, uh, the Sahaba, of course, of the first generation. The Tabi'een, Hassan al-Basri is one of them. And he is the main sheikh of Basra and he, to, to back to him, goes so many knowledges. After Hassan al-Basri, that second generation, we have Al-Imam Abu Hanifa. And you have the Tabi'i Tabi'in. Some say that Abu Hanifa was a Tabi'i from, with respect to having seen a Sahabi as an infant or as a toddler. From that aspect. But as a student of knowledge, he's Tabi'i Tabi'i. Malik is a younger Tabi'i Tabi'i. He's slightly younger than Abu Hanifa. Then we have... Um, after the Tabi Tabi'in come Ash-Shafi'i and Ahmad ibn Hanbal. Ash-Shafi'i was between Malik and Ahmad ibn Hanbal in age. To the point that Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal considered Ash-Shafi'i not like a, neither a peer nor a, a sheikh, but someone he did study under as a mature student of knowledge. He was already a sheikh and a scholar, and Ash-Shafi'i was an older, seasoned, veteran scholar, and, and Ahmad ibn Hanbal studied under Ash-Shafi'i and honored a Shafi and spent so much company and time with a Shafi and even pointed one time to one of the students of knowledge maybe it was his son even that uh, pull your feet in because you're stretching your feet towards the house of a Shafi Al-Hadith al-Muhasibi was just under Ahmad ibn Hanbal in age so that gives you an idea of, of where he lived in the timeline Okay, and we are talking about Basra and Baghdad Baghdad is uh, the, the was the city of knowledge that was brought about and and founded by the second Abbasid Khalifa. So after the Umayyads passed, the Abbasids took the Khilafa up to Iraq, and it started in Kufa, I think, for one generation. Then they went to they founded the city of Baghdad. It was a better area, more geographic area. Under the reign of Harun al-Rashid. The Abbasids were collecting 400 million silver coins annually. 
from the conquered territories because you're you're not allowed you're allowed to conquer you're allowed to tax conquered territories based on land you're allowed to tax that land every plot of land or every you're allowed to issue taxes on them if those people come in willingly they submit then you cannot tax them you can only tax conquered lands so they 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 were earning so much and it was an amazing time uh, to live in the city of Baghdad Al-Harith al-Muhasibi studied under Baghdad now Basra Baghdad is here Basra is down here close to Persia and Basra was founded by Umar al-Khattab as a, a, a military town and all these initial towns in Islam were all military towns they all started like that okay and they all were built around a central mosque and all of these central mosques eventually became open universities where it was like it was not a university in the in the sense of having a rector official students and official teachers and curriculums and graduations but it was a university from the aspect of major scholars each having a pillar and teaching their in their own way okay and a lot of knowledge came out of uh, all of these cities eventually the others being Fustat in Egypt, which today is called Old Cairo. And if you want to go there, um, you can see all the, the, some of those ancient masajid there. And they're, it's like romantic almost. Inside the masjid is. Outside is something else. It's a really unfortunate degrees of poverty, dirtiness, and, and all this, these neg- negative things. Okay. So these cities, after the, the military age of the Islamic conquests ended... These cities became centers of learning. Military, the military aspect became relegated to the borders, the border cities. The central cities of Darul Islam became places of great intellectual activity. Hassan al-Basri was one of the first outside of the city of Medina. And really, uh, so many knowledges really go back to him. He was a preacher and a scholar and a devotee, like a dervish, as der, uh, not a darwish in the cultural sense, but he was like... Okay. He was one of the, the, the pioneers of this. And Muhasibi did not study much in Basra, he studied in Baghdad. All right. He studied a lot in Baghdad. Okay. And it was there that Abu Jafar al Mansur, he is the one who founded that city and it reached its apex during the time of Harun al Rashid. Harun al Rashid, he lived at the time of Imam Malik. Harun al Rashid is the one who came into Medina and there are some good things said about him and there were some bad things he did Harun al-Rashid he's mixed but he's the one who walked into the mosque of the Prophet wasallam, and he saw Malik from far away he wanted to honor Malik like he had a good intention he said Ya Malik right and Imam Malik lowered he, he put his hand out he said lower your voice because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said La tarfa'u aswatakum nabi. do not raise your voice over the vo- voice of the Prophet wasallam. His, the sanctity that you keep around the Prophet after his passing is the same as what you keep in his life. Because the Prophet and all of death in our uh, understanding of it, in our cosmology of it, is merely a transfer. It's not a non-existence. You don't exit existence. You are as you are with your intellect your feelings, your understandings, and all of that. You just exited the bodily sphere in the dunya. Now you're in another sphere which we can't really discuss. We don't know much about it, right? The barzakh. 
where time is different. Why is time different? Because the soul, it's a subtle, very, very, very subtle matter, right? It's subtle, but it is a thing. And therefore, gravity is different, and therefore, time is different, and therefore, transportation is different, and therefore, the amount of information you can hold is not limited by the size of your brain. There's, there's so many limitations are lifted, and it's a completely different existence. But to, we don't hold at all for one moment that death equals non-existence. And if, when Allah, if Allah was to permit, the knowledge of what's happening here is accessible to the people who are dead, Right? They, they, it's accessible to them. It's not something that's impossible for them to know. And the Prophet ﷺ said that Allah shows me your deeds. So there is not a complete disconnect between a person when they are in the barzakh from their former life in the dunya. And the Prophet ﷺ, like he's following his ummah. He knows what is happening in his ummah. What's one of the proofs of that? Did not the Prophet ﷺ come to Sayyidina Bilal in a dream? Bilal had not visited Medina, after living in Syria for two years, right? And the Prophet smiled in his dream and said, Bilal, what's this jafa? We missed you. You don't come to visit us. Bilal woke up, tears running down his eyes, packing his belongings, and his mother, his wife asked, where are you going? She said, I've been called by the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa We not know that Umar ibn Khattab and Ali ibn Abi Talib had once a question. In fiqh, they had a debate. Not a debate, but a question that came to them. And, uh, oh, sorry, this is the story. That's Ghazali, I'll answer, I'll give you that story in a second. No, this story was that Sayyidina Ali one time, he, he, he wished to have seen the Prophet He said, I had like a desire in me to see the Messenger He came, and he, that night, after uh, Fajr, uh, before Fajr, he saw the Prophet So he came after Salat al-Fajr to say Umar ibn Khattab because the Prophet in his dream said, send my salam to Umar. Right? He came to say, Ali told him, send my salam to Umar. When he came to deliver the salam, right, after Salat al-Fajr, Sayyidina Umar saw Sayyidina Ali's coming, he said, don't worry about it, he came to me after he came to you. Like, you don't need to deliver the salam, he came to me afterwards, subhanAllah. How about Imam al-Ghazali and his, bro- his brother? Abu Hamad al-Ghazali and Ahmed al-Ghazali, they had a debate. Nobody knows about Ahmed al-Ghazali. They had a debate about a matter. Ahmed al-Ghazali said, all right, we, then we need an arbitrator, right? Abu Hamad al-Ghazali agreed. He said, who's the arbitrator? Who's going to arbitrate like, against Abu Hamad al-Ghazali? Who's, who knows more than Abu Hamad al-Ghazali to arbitrate? So Abu Hamad al-Ghazali said, okay, who? He said, the messenger of Allah. Abu Hamad al-Ghazali said, How? He said, go spend all night in ibadah and go to sleep. So after Salat al-Isha, Abu Hamd al-Ghazali made wudu and he'd sat all night in ibadah until he fell asleep. Okay, he fell asleep. There he saw the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam with a plate of dates. And he gave Abu Hamd al-Ghazali three dates. And Abu Hamd al-Ghazali woke up with the dates in his hand. SubhanAllah. These people have merged between the the seen world and the unseen world so he ran this is a sign I got the dates from the prophet right he ran to his brother's house as the sun came up he knocked on the door the brother said come in he came in when he came in he saw the rest of the plate there at his brother's house so that the majority of the correction the, 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 the truth was with the brother and only a little bit of the truth was Abu Hamid 
these Sahaba had merged everything. Subhanallah. So they don't, we don't believe that death is, is a non-existence. It's a different existence where we can speak very little about it. Imam Haddad said, you can't, you can't understand it much because we can, we can only understand a life in a body, in a physical realm, right? But these, the, 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 some people, gifted people in our ummah, have gotten a glimpse of both. And some live very heavily in both, right? Uh, they've sort of punctured the, the hijab between, while they're still alive, between this life and al-ghayb. One of the most significant developments, uh, developments in Abbasid times was intellectual developments. This is one of the most significant developments that, that we could say that they had. And they began uh, translating a lot of works into Arabic. And this led into many different ideas amongst Muslims. And this caused there to be a lot of heresy in Baghdad. And there's no reason that Imam Al-Haddad, uh, sorry, Imam Malik said, Iraq is the place of fitan. It's fitan and zayikh and many bad things. It does not mean that it does not a place that had truth in it, such as uh, Abu Hanifa and others who Malik praised, but it meant that that stuff was also there. All right. So the Muslim scholars then assimilated and started to take from this body of knowledge and then different groups developed. Amongst them, the Qadariyya and the Mu'tazila. All right. And it ha- Imam al-Muhasibi became somebody who was very concerned of this. Likewise, Imam Ahmed and many others. Imam Ahmed's method was none of this revelation, full stop. Shut the door. Which you have to respect this position because when there's a flood, there's no time to negotiate. There is no negotiation, right? When there's chaos and there's a flood, you don't negotiate with these people. Shut the door completely, none of it. And even the Hanabila. I was taught by some Hanabila that Ahmed will draw a line far earlier than where he believed the actual line to be. Right? At, out of caution. So you, you create like a, a, a double barrier while you know that it's because it's going to leak. Right? So if there's a flood, you don't want to just lock your door. You want to put sandbags way ahead of your door. Right? You don't want the water to come right up to your door. So that's what Imam Ahmed's position was. But Hadith al-Muhasibi said, that's a great protection for the ummah at large and the general population of Muslims, but it doesn't address the actual fitna. It's not addressing the actual fitna. So Imam Hadith al-Muhasibi became one of the first speculative theologians, which is to use the logic of the enemy against him. And one of the fundamentals of kalam and its methods and purposes is to show the internal contradiction of heresies within heresies. The heretic already doesn't submit to God's word. So to tell him, God said no. He doesn't accept it in the first place. Very similar to, like our previous discussion on politics, Muslim going into politics, is very similar to this. It's chaos. There is, I do not see a single way where you're navigating living two different laws. Okay? Two different sources of law, two different cosmologies. The view of the world is different. The sources of right and wrong are different. Therefore, the sources of law are different. Therefore, when push comes to shove and the matter hits the ground, you're going to have to make a choice which law book you're going with. So, my reaction to this is I shut the door on the whole thing. Oh, well, what, how are we going to have politicians? What do, I, what do I care? I don't know. That's not the issue right now. How are we going to have politicians? You have someone who's getting a heart attack, okay? 
and there is a party going on. He said, he's got a heart attack. Take him away. Well, how's he going to attend the party? Who cares about the party? Who cares? I got multiple priorities here, and I have to triage like a doctor. We all do this, right? All of us have to triage. So you got to ask yourself, what, what is the first thing I got to save? How about my own self? How about my own family first? Find a way to wiggle and navigate this. And by the way, we've been wiggling and navigating. What benefit did I get us? Right? What benefit did it get us? Is it, oh, yes, we, we, we fast-track people's citizenship. First of all, I'd even wonder, do you want to even come here? Right? That's the first question. Oh, but their families were separated, and this Muslim politician fast-tracked the citizenship. Okay, wonderful. That's a good thing. So not everything bad is 100% bad. Allah even himself says alcohol has good money in alcohol. Allah himself said that, right? Some things are good, but most of it is evil. Most of it is detrimental. So we make a judgment. We make a judgment. Is that something that a non-Muslim, you think non-Muslim politician has zero decency? That's, you're not going to find a single non-Muslim politician to try to unite your families if you supported him? And I don't even mind the idea that we're going to support some politicians because it's the lesser of two evils. But I wouldn't go into it myself. So Imam Ahmed here says, that all these ideas, throw them in the garbage. Light it up with dynamite, right? Light them all up, gas it up, and light up all these, all, all these heretical books. I like this, this position in the sense that that's got to be the first position to protect the general masses of Muslims. And the general masses, if that's what Ahmed says, okay, I'm out of it too. I'm not even touching that stuff. This is my position on this, uh, on uh, really any field, any industry, whether it's politics, whether it's um, uh, you talking Hollywood, right? There are certain jobs you just cannot do, okay? You're not going to have certain, you're not going to have a Muslim lingerie model, ever, ever. And who cares? We haven't lost anything, right? Oh, you can have a Muslim lingerie model, but not, in, not, not upholding their deen, Right? Not upholding their deen. That's what I meant. Of course, you're going to have a Muslim everything. Who cares? There's Muslims in Jahannam. Having a Muslim first Muslim, there's going to be first Muslim in Jahannam too, right? There's the first Muslim any, everywhere, right? It's not, the, it's not an uh, achievement. Here, Baghdad. Oh, way back in the olden days in the ancient times. First Muslim heretic. First Muslim Zindir. First Muslim to, to swallow all these ideas. You know, Ahmed said, enough is enough. None of it. But Al-Harith al-Muhasibi, who was not nearly as famous at the time of Imam Ahmed, he was not well known. He was known amongst the scholars. But he was shunned off to the side because he took a different approach. His approach was, we still aren't answering the question. So let's answer the question. How are we going to answer this question? By use of certain rhetorical and logical tools that they recognize and observe. And Imam Ahmed was against all this. right? So, he was one of the, the founders of Ilm al-Kalam, all right? And, but that wasn't the only thing that he really was, was involved in. He was also one of the great founders of Tasawwuf. And he used to hold dhikr gatherings in his home. And he famously made Imam Ahmed weep at one of these. So Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal wanted to see what is going on with Al-Hadith al-Muhasibi. So he asked somebody to sneak him behind the wall so he could hear what is happening. He heard the long vicar session and he heard the speech of Imam al-Harith al-Muhasibi and he wept. He said, son, no one... He, he said some praises, I don't want to misquote him, but he, he said to his son, 
he praised them very much. He said, but follow my way, right? Like, my way is safer. Way of fiqh and hadith, exactly as that, that's it. Way of the salaf, and that's it. So, we respect that. But he did not hold them as, as innovators. He, hold, he, he held that as a position that he disagrees with. That's a very important point here. Okay. So, Al-Hasibi is then one of the teachers of the great Junaid al-Sadiq. That's how far back in the chain he is. He is one of the teachers of someone who is, and we have, I don't know if we've done his biography, but Junaid al-Sadiq is considered to be one of the great founders of Ilm al-Tasawwuf. Okay? Very important. Okay? Very important uh, contribution to Al-Hadith al-Muhasibi. Imam al-Muhasibi and other scholars um, lived at a time in which there was great flux and the Abbasids became Mu'tazila. A couple of Abbasid caliphs became Mu'tazila. All right, the, and then the following story shows how much Imam al-Muhasibi defended the orthodoxy of Islam. So he was born into a wealthy family. However, his father was Qadari. He rejected the idea that God, God's ordainment as being the ultimate determining factor in human actions. In all human actions, what do we say? It's Allah is the the source of all action. There is no will separate from Allah's will. Right? You do not will anything except that Allah willed it. So if you say, no, no, I have my own free will. Okay? You have your own free will. To do what? I want, right? I, I do what I want. I say what I want. So we ask you, but do you want what you want? Right? I chose to get this to eat that. Question is, we good? Should I keep going? Okay. The voice is good, but the camera's stuck. Oh, stuck. Okay. Uh, question is that where do you get your desires from? You do what you want. You do what you will. But do you will what you will, what you want? You don't choose what you want. Like, why did this idea come in your mind suddenly? Why does this desire come in your mind suddenly? Okay. So that's the question here. <clears throat> So what happened is, he was a Qadri, and he reject and and the Qadris reject this concept of that there is only one will, and because of this, he cut off his father, and he urged his mother to seek divorce from this innovator, from this Muqtada, right? Because in his view, this he's he's a Muqtada and he's out and he's it is bid'ah mukaffira. You're out of it's bid'ah mukaffira, not just a bid'ah. Mufassiqa, bid'a mufassiqa means it's something that, it's in heresy and an innovation, but you haven't left Islam. But the bid'a mukaffira is, yes, you have. You have left Islam with this innovation. Okay. He would subsequently move out of his father's house, and he rejected the entire inheritance that his father left him. He rejected the inheritance. Okay. Therefore, after the, as a result of that, he lived a life of poverty. His youth was all in poverty. Allah. So, for someone to say that he was okay with innovation is ridiculous. All right. Al-Muhasibi on tasawwuf and moral psychology. He was non-philosophical about this. He was not philosophical about this. When it comes to psychology, uh, tasawwuf, he was, he was just uh, riwayat. Because Sufism can, be, can have two different views. The one uh, route of Sufism can be 
like philosophical Sufism. And that's what the perennialists like. Like all these perennialist authors, how many books of Tasawwuf? I don't, I don't need books. I need action, right? I need to see what your state is like. Upon books of the philosophical Tasawwuf, okay? So he was not into that. And I'm not into that. And the Shadhiliya weren't into that. And, uh, but some of the later Shadhiliya were very into Ibn Arabi. Ahlan wa sahlan. These are shiukh and mutakallimin that are on Ahl sunnah So however they go into the philosophical elements of tasawwuf, you know it's going to be grounded in aqidah okay? and sharia. But these others, they're not, they're, they're, they're not. He himself was purely transmission-based tasawwuf. Right, as taking from the book and the sunnah only. And the fulcrum, right, of all of this is dhikrillah and taqwa. Right? Dhikrillah and taqwa. Right? Taqwa, God consciousness. Taqwa and hudur ma'allah. Hudur ma'allah means to be aware with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to be present with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is the greatest, all right, of all is the source of everything. And did not say, Nadi said that the root of all evil is forgetting Allah. Okay. That, now, folks out there, you're watching, I know that there's camera difficulties, but it's okay. It just, it's not, uh, we're, we'll just, we'll read it and just listen and we'll continue with Al-Hadith Al-Muhasibi. Okay. So, Al-Dhikr Lillah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is the opposite of heedlessness and heedlessness is the root of all sins and the root of all evil is that people forgot Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now why do people well let's trace it back now because this is where we're saying he's putting together a philosophy let's trace it back where do we get how do we get heedlessness well if you're heedless of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala there must be you're heedless of Allah through something else something else displaced your remembrance of Allah Right? What displaced your remembrance of Allah? The dunya, obviously. So he said, the root of that, the root of heedlessness, is indulgence in the world. You indulge, you go too far in, into matters of dunya. Overindulgence in the world, it empowers the nafs and empowers shaitan, and it busies the mind. Completely busies the mind. And see, now he's, he's putting together a philosophy, he's putting together a set of ideas. So therefore, we need to cut this. We need to simpl- physically simplify our lives first. And how do you physically simplify your life? By dhikr al-mawt, the remembrance of death. So the remembrance of how, how short-term this life is, right? How short-term this life is, is one of the roots of drawing near to Allah. And let's look in practical real life. Are not people who get sick very close, they, they, their lives turn around when people get sick. When people are near to death, like they have a near-death experience, do they not like, get closer to Allah? So he's right about it. If you look at it as an experiment, he's totally right. So he ends up being somebody who, uh, his philosophy on the ground, his philosophy in books is reflected on the ground. right? And it, it comes with a, an action plan. That if, if, I'm, if, if I'm straying and my heart is busy, then I need to simplify. And I need to, uh, need to simplify and I need to remember death. And I to remember that this life is very, it's short-lived. This life is extremely temporary. All of these things are important. So what else did, was part of his idea? Barakah. 
divine grace, tawfiq and barakah. That all of our success is by tawfiq and barakah. What did we mention many times in this program? We mentioned so many times in this program that it's part of our philosophy that success, material and otherwise, is by sakina. Success comes from light, divine light that comes down upon us. That's where we get success from. The best ideas, the best work day, the most efficient work, all of that is fueled by Sakina. Sakina cannot come to a sinful heart. Sakina, your heart has to be pure. And on top of that, you need to fill it with the remembrance of Allah. So we hold this, our military success, our personal success, our financial success, our social success, our political success, all of it. The root of it all is Sakina and Barakah. And this is his second part of his philosophy. Okay, You're able to remain on the path of truth by this barakah and this tawfiq. So everything has to go back to tawfiq. Okay? Everything has to be, it goes back to the nur of Allah that descends upon us. That's how simple the issue is. Okay? So these are some of the themes that a person has. Now, what about daily life? Look at the etiquettes of the sunnah. In daily life, it's all about the etiquettes of the sunnah. Okay? And he talks a lot about that. So his tasawwuf is free from this intellectual, elaborate, intellectual scaffolding that you know, would ent- later on maybe enter Sufism. Where you're like, what is they really talking about? Like, what in the world are they saying here? Give me something that I could practice. Now, what are his books? Well, he has a book called Kitab At-Tawahum. At-Tawahum. What is he doing, Kitab At-Tawahum? I'm telling you, he was really ahead of his time as an author. In Kitab At-Tawahum, he talks about the power of imagination and how we're supposed to use our imagination. And then he takes you to any, the, the, the height of using our imagination, which is imagining the journey to the next life that when Allah Ta'ala gives us things he says um, is it the battery right uh, this I'm thing so the battery's working the camera's working the camera works. weird OBS or... yeah how many cords does the modern life require us to have it's like I'm done with cords. Can can someone create like one maximum universal cord? I'll pay 50 bucks for it. Where it has literally 500 bucks. All females and all males. Right? Like HDMI male and female. Male on one side, female on the other side. USB. USB-C. Mini micro USB. HDMI mini uh, HDMI. Everything male and female. Okay. SubhanAllah. In one massive cord. Unreal. So using, huh? Okay, good. Using your imagination, the greatest way to use your imagination, all right, is to think about the afterlife. And the imagination can be used for many things, but the best use of imagination is thinking about the afterlife. Okay. So. He wrote that book, Kitab al-Tawahum. Then he wrote Adab al-Nufus, the etiquettes of the soul. 
the, what is the knowledge of the soul, the etiquettes around purifying the soul, and the heart has adept. If, you're, if you look with your eyes at somebody, if you gaze at a woman, right, and you keep gazing at a woman, what do we say? We say that you have no adept. You're committing sins. And th- this, this type of sin, it's like you have no adept, right? Likewise, if your heart dwells upon her, her physical body and you're fascinated by her and you're now you know, dwelling upon her body, that also is that's like bad adab of the heart. Your heart has no adab. So your at kitab adab and nufus is is all about the adab of your heart. Another book he wrote, a book of nasiha, where he alerts people about the devil's tricks. Extremely important. He alerts people about the pitfalls of the devil, of the pitfalls of iblis. He writes another one. Kitab What are the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? I have rights, you have rights. Well, Allah also has rights. It's a, yeah. All of this put together can literally become a, a curriculum for Tasawwuf, all his books. Okay. They all rely upon these books. Okay, they're all inspired by Kitab al-Riayah. If Ghazali and Qut al-Qulub Abu Talib al-Makki, they used Kitab al-Riayah as a basis for their works, that just tells you where he is. Okay. And then he has another book, which is the one that is translated here, is the intro book to Tasawuf. Risalat al-Mustarshideen. It's briefer. It's less rigorous. It's less systematic. It's a free-flowing set of ideas for the beginner on the path. Okay. And he built his argument on the basis of certain verses of the Quran and certain hadith of the Prophet ﷺ in a very simple manner for the beginner on the path of tasawwuf. Okay. And so this is um, a summary of Abu Harith uh, Al Harith Al Muhasibi, and I think we can take a look at the clock now. What time is it? It's two thirty. We've been on for about an hour, and what we could do now is open it up for some comments or questions, or we can just let me read some of his sayings. I'm just going to read them. One who rectifies his inner self with an awareness of God's surveillance and sincerity. Allah will adorn his outer self with devotional acts and adherence to the prophetic way. So when, he, when, when a person has the tawfiq and the blessings to do good deeds, that's the reward. That's not the action. That's the reward. What's the action? You monitored your heart in private. Between you and Allah, you started asking your heart questions. And you rectified your heart. This is an amazing view of worship. That this worship, I'm not doing it. I'm gifted with it. Allah gifted me with this. He adorned me with this. Why did he adorn you with this? Because you monitored your heart in private. Between you and yourself, you sat alone while you were on the bus or in your bed or sitting quietly in your home. You, you ask questions to your heart. What, is, what, is my, what am I doing with my life? What's going on? Do I respect Allah or not? And then once you did, now you become open for Allah to adorn you with acts of worship. 
If half of humanity were to come towards me in friendship, I would find no conviviality in that. And if the other half were to turn away from me, I would feel no alienation in their distancing themselves from me. He said concerning the hadith, the best of sustenance is that which suffices. That is the basic provision which comes day to day and you don't worry about tomorrow. Right? We are always worrying about my retirement, blah, blah, blah. Anyone divested from the world finds his divestment in proportion to his knowledge. His knowledge in proportion to his intellect and his intellect in proportion to the strength of his faith. So he talks here about how intellect is not something you're born with that you have an IQ. It's more than that. Intellect is rooted in how much faith you have. Your iman. The more you increase your iman, the more you will understand. Your understanding here is the meaning of your intellect. Knowledge bequeaths fear. Divestment from the world bequeaths comfort. And gnosis bequeaths self-criticism. The basis of obedience is impeccability. The basis of impeccability is God consciousness. The basis of God consciousness is balancing between fear and hope. And the basis for those two is the knowledge of promises and threats. Good character is bearing abuse, rarely becoming angry, having a pleasant face, and sweet speech. Everything has an essence. The essence of a human being is his intellect, and the essence of his intellect is patience, sabr. If you do not hear the caller to God, how can you answer his call? The oppressor is remorseful even if people praise him. The oppressed is safe even if people condemn him. The content, the content person is wealthy even if he is hungry. The covetous person is impoverished even if he owns everything. One who, drink, one who does not thank Allah for a blessing has called for its eradication. The person, the best person is one who does not allow his hereafter to preoccupy him from his worldly affair. Nor does he allow his worldly affair to preoccupy him from his hereafter. So before we go and save the world by becoming a, a, entering some industry and being the first Muslim to enter that industry, we got to make sure we save our own tail before we claim to save others and help others. The tribulation of the seeker of the world is the idling of his heart from remembrance of the hereafter. If there's a seeker and that seeker does something bad and it's uh, something terrible and he's going to be punished, how does Allah punish such a seeker? He busies his heart. Right, So we say to you, do jujitsu with this. With whatever Allah's busying your heart, make it a dua. Allah's busied your heart with cars. What's better, to be heedless of Allah or to be asking for something of the dunya? At least you're making dua. Make dua for it. Your iman will increase when you make dua. Maybe your perspective on cars will also decrease or change. Whoever emerges from the authority of fear into the haughtiness of security. The paths leading to the places of his ruin have been greatly expanded. SubhanAllah. People differ in worldly divestment in proportion to their soundness of their intellect and the purity of their hearts. The most virtuous and the most intelligent and those who best understand... The most virtuous are the most intelligent and those who best understand God. All right. Uh, that's it for today. Let's take your comments and questions as Ryan keeps back and forth. He's losing weight moving around here trying to take questions. All right, Gabriel Shaban, we are taking questions now. Everybody, 
Feel free to put in your question. Open QA for everybody here. A sister said that you heard a voice in the Uh, Bina says, a sister I know said she heard a voice next to her that said that Allah has forgiven her, that she will get to Jannah, and that she's Waliullah. Is that shaitan? Um, I will simply say for that sister, there is no action based upon that. Nor to have certainty based upon that, but to have hope and ask for that anyway. So what is the course of action if it's true? Do you change? Nothing. No, nothing changes, right? Nothing changes. Is there any certainty that that's an angel? No, there's no certainty that that's an angel. And has have the other awliya received that? I've never heard that. Have the other shiuch ever spoken about that? No, I've never heard about that. So leave that off as a, an issue, and you don't speak about such a thing, because the basis of, of karamat is that we don't speak about them. The general principle of karamat is that we do not speak about them we keep them secret to ourselves that's a general idea of karamas so we say to this sister pray for it hope for it have no jesm no jesm with that if you have a sheikh you're so pious you have a sheikh tell your sheikh see what your sheikh says about that right but pray for it pray for it to be true we all pray for that to be true but it doesn't change anything you're not going to, if you use it to go get special treatment from people, then you're deluded. I'll tell you when I would be very certain that it's not true, that it's not a true hatif. This is called a hatif. If this person now starts to use that to gain some kind of currency with people and starts going around telling everybody, you are far from the path of the way of the awliya. They never did this. They never acted upon this. At that point, I worry for your mental health and I worry about shaitan. If you use this to try to get a dollar out of people, right? That you tell somebody this. Is this a prelude that after five weeks or something, there's going to be a, 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 a demand or a request for money? Oh, then you're definitely from on the way of Iblis. I can guarantee you that almost. Because I've never seen a wali, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, go around telling everyone he's wali. I'll go around telling of his private karamats with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Go around telling people to honor him. Go around asking people for money based upon this. So let's just watch. But right now, there's no action upon it. Okay? Maybe it's from an angel. Maybe Most likely it's not. Right? But there is no action upon this. All right? Qasim says, advice for feeling hypocritical when trying to do good things like dhikr but stuck in bad sins at the same time. Well, this happened in the time of the Prophet And they said there was a man, he praised Fajr in the mosque. But then he goes out to the marketplace and he steals and he lies and he schemes. The Prophet says, if he continues, he'll stop. So the, that answer is both. If he continues and he insists on lying, he will eventually stop coming to pray Fajr. If he insists and in his will to, to, to pray Fajr in the mosque stays great and good and strong, he will stop lying. So keep feeding what is good. Eventually, what is bad will just leave. What is bad is almost like an animal that will just lose hope. 
uh, I'm not going to get any food here. Let me leave eventually. And that is going to be from the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah ta'ala will command your nafs to calm itself down. Mana arzaqi. Yes, this uh, live stream is shared. It's on Spotify. It's on Google Play. It's on Apple. Uh, Apple Music. I guess now there's no more iTunes. It's Apple Music, right? And it's on YouTube. It's all saved everywhere. Uh, I wanted to show some calligraphy that came to us, but the camera's down. When the camera's back up, I'm going to show some amazing calligraphy that people sent us. Right. From Morocco, straight out of Morocco. Okay. Let's see the questions that we have here. What else we got? I have sort of a comment question, but it is a long one. I mean, put it, we'll see if it's, if it's something that everyone can benefit from, then we'll say it. You put it already? Okay. Uh, Moab says, how do methods differ about dogs affecting your state of purity? All of them agree that dogs cannot be had as pets in the home, but the Madakiya hold that dog saliva is pure. You don't have to wash it in order to pray. If it comes on your clothes, it's nothing. You know, basically, you don't have to worry about it. But the Prophet did what the Madakiya do hold, that you have to wash it off as a matter of hygiene if the dog licks your plate. That's the hadith of the Prophet, exactly. If the dog licks your plate, wash it seven times once with dirt. They mean by that, one, wash it thoroughly seven times with water and scrub it. Or use a soap as an agent, dirt being an agent, and that has to do with hygiene, has nothing to do with ibadat. There are many Arab cultures where the man sees the woman without hijab before marriage. I've never heard of that. I've never heard of that. Yes. Sure. A question. Yeah. <laughs> this is a Eunice question. So. Mm -hmm. No problem. <laughs> so if you go to someone's house, yep, and they have a dog in the house, yep, but there's a section of the house that I mean, we don't know where the dog, the dog could have been all over the house. Yeah. He has been insisting that we pray outside the house because the angels won't be in that house. But if the weather's bad or what have you, is it? The prayer will always be valid, even if there's a dog there. So would you? They're it, sinful for keeping a dog there. So we can pray in the house? Yeah. So you would pray in the house versus going outside if it's cold? Correct. Uh, Sagal Ibrahim says, uh, what book are you reading? And it is a treatise for the seekers of guidance. Risalat al-Mustarshideen. MM says, I would like your opinion on the following questions related to Muslims globally. What is, going up, what is it going to take to, for the Muslims to unite and align on the proper path? How far are we from breaking free from the dysfunction we are in? To be quite honest with you, we're, we're, it's, it's so far off from my imagination, and, but my imagination is limited. So I, I, I highly advise everyone to just worry about themselves, their family, and their local community. Yes, in terms of concern, we're concerned with the ummah, right? But in terms of action, we're busy doing this, right? We're busy doing this. Just yourself, your family, your local community. Because that's where the action is going to take place. 
as for a general concern of how we're going to fix things up, it's going to take a lot of things beyond our imagination. So, is ru'ya shar'iya physically viewing a woman without her hijab for marriage, and it's not an Islamic concept? No, I've never heard that. That is not an Islamic concept at all. You have no rights until you marry the woman, right? You have no rights. I've been doing salah kamila, a certain salah on the Prophet. Do I need permission? You don't need permission for any salah on the Prophet. Dino Palavra says, Is the contemplation of Ibrahim sort of a proof for kalam? Al-Baqillani makes a compelling argument. Yes, it is a proof for using lines of thought to arrive at certain points of truth. That is correct. How do you use your iPad for productivity, says Ibrahim Khan. I use it for books. I like to read off of it, and I have tons of books on the iPad. And then I use it in, in the, in the uh, iBook software. SM. SM is asking about Fana and Nar. No, I don't know about this. I never looked into the subject of Fana and Nar. Yeah, it's the Fana and Nar means that the, the that hellfire will come to an end. Maham says, years of practicing Fardain and studying, why do I still struggle to get prayers done on time? Make sure you eliminate all haram and fulfill all obligations and make sure your food is halal and then your heart should answer the call to Allah quickly. And Allah knows best. But also try to keep on wudu all the time. Is running cold water to turn the water warm waste a considered a waste? Then the answer to that is if the cold water will harm you, then no, it's not a waste. Monk says, what do you have to say about the fatwa by some 200 automat that Wahhabis aren't from Ahl-Sunnah and that was by Ramzan Kadyrov as, his, as he is a controversial ruler? We don't need Ramzan Kadyrov's fatwa on that or gathering the ulama. We know that if they have tajseem that is explicit, then we know that they're outside of Ahl-Sunnah. And they do. Their big imams do have tajseem that is explicit. Some of them saying that Allah is an uncreated light. How? When light is a substance. Okay. All right, Gabriel's question. I fear that Muslim men are being lost to far-right figures online, like Andrew Tate and Jordan Peterson. Okay. All right. More and more religious young men are getting radicalized online by the disregard uh, of the discussion on the hukuk of the zawj. Hukuk of zawj, the zawj, the husband. Rights of the husband. It has gotten to the point that I believe a lot of young religious Muslim men choose to marry women from overseas. It's a mistake because I think the world is one culture right now. Instead of what's... Maybe they're different somewhere else. 
instead of what some might see as certain Muslimat preferring careerism predicated on riba, student loans, than wanting to start a family. What are your thoughts? I don't disagree with uh, the observations that he's making. A lot of people are getting, uh, from, from my perspective, radicalized. Now, that's really pointless for everybody in the sense that my, my view of things is not what's, what we're after here. And my perspective of the, uh, of the observation of things is not what we're after here. What we're after here is, like, what is the right thing to do? And in my view, both men and women, and it's become very, very difficult to say anything for women, right? You give any piece of advice for women in terms of the importance of family, it's just like, I don't even say it anymore. It's just such a hassle. You're going to have so many feminists come after you, right? And it's like, okay, what's the point? I don't want to feel like wasting, I don't want a horde coming after me. So I'm not even going to talk about it, right? And let women talk, advise the sisters. But I think all of our, in our communities, we have to promote the importance of family. And careerism is not something that I think is 100% always something that's opposed to, to family. I don't believe that, right? I don't believe that, but I believe some careers may, be, may lead to misguidance for men and women, right? But, and I do believe that it's so important to have a mom in the house. More important on a daily basis, probably more important that kids feel that their mom's there for them, right? Probably more important than the dad, just from the emotional standpoint, right? From the emotional standpoint, the idea that my mom is there for me, all right? And the love that she gives and the care that she gives and the attention that she gives, in my view, is really far more important than the dad's. The dad's, I think, their job is to set law and order, to set expectations and to have accountability. And you teach young boys, you know, these things. And, you, and the dad adjusts the young boys into society by taking him around and telling him, listen, this is not cool what you're doing. Don't stop doing this. If you do this here in this table here, I'll tell you to stop fine. But I don't want you doing that at the table in front of other people. They're going to not say anything. And they're going to talk behind your back, right? Like if your, your son is like, he interrupts all the time. You got you to gotta end it. The mom might be, oh, he's excited, right? No, I got to end this. Because I may tolerate it, you may tolerate it, right, out of love and cuteness, but the rest of society is not going to tolerate it. So I view it, uh, my view is, is um, that humans pretty much had, had, had it right for a long time in the simple idea that the women, women bring, a, a mom in the home brings a lot of warmth and a lot of emotional stability in the house and a lot of love in the house that will make a kid not need to go outside looking for those emotions, and the dad's role in the house is to provide some of that, but mainly to, to, to provide social adjustment and law and order. Now, do I believe that this can be done simultaneously as a woman doing something with her day when her kids are at school? As, I ask myself the question, if, she's, if the kids are at a school, well, what, is, what, what else is there to do at the house? This is not the old days where you're living in the same house as your, your mother and her mother and her aunts, and there's 10 other women in the, in the, in the, in the apartment right or in on the street or like living next to each other so i don't see that and i wonder like what else are they doing with their time so if they're doing something constructive in a career that doesn't involve khalwa with women now by the way the rules of work will apply for both men and women here there's no point in singling out the sisters on this and that's not a take that's like being soft on feminism it's the truth anything that you're going to say is haram for a woman 
chances are it's going to be haram for a man, with one exception, which is the traveling back and forth. That it's it's uh, there is discussion on it. There's prohibition for traveling alone, right? And constant travel back and forth. There's prohibition on it, and there's some fatwa allowing for it. But when the fatwa allows for it, if there's a need, if there's a need, right? It's a, it's a dire need, necessity. Then the fatwa will allow for that because travel, air travel, bus travel, it's all safe today. There's cops everywhere. It's not like the old days where you're traveling alone in the desert or alone on a road. But they say it has to come with dire need. So uh, I do agree with the observation, and I think that the solution to that is gaining knowledge of Dean and having a strong perspective on what is important in life in that the family life is important. If a man is careerist, it has less harm on a family, in my view, of observation, pure observation, this is not shitty or anything, than if a woman is a careerist. Why? Because there are emotional needs that need to be provided daily, every day. Okay? And that really takes place from when the kids come home from school until the end of the day. That's the majority. So that's really the main time that it has to happen, right? Some people call this mothering. Now, the fathers, the dads, also, their absence also causes a lot of problems, right? Because balance, setting things right, um, a lot of that stuff is really based upon the dad laying down the law. So, it is a marriage, marriage with the youth, I think, is a problem until they study. Once they're, once they're in the circles of Islamic knowledge... I, I'm telling you, I see a lot of these problems going away. I totally see it from the sister side and the brother side, right? No sister will be in, like knee deep, neck deep in theology, in fiqh, and even give one glance to these feminist ideas. Not, not even one. And no brother will be waist deep in religious knowledge and give Andrew Tate and Jordan Peterson a a minute of their time, right? I'm telling you from what I've seen. And I, I'm dealing with students of knowledge every day and I'm dealing with regular Muslims in the mosque every day. And I see the difference. As soon as they get into that, right, they don't argue about Andrew Tate and feminism and all that nonsense. They argue about, uh, you know, does Allah lie and does uh, a theolo theological question. They got to wrestle, they got to box. What's mustahid aqli and all these things that and 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 sifat of Allah subhanahu wa taala? They're gonna argue. So, yeah, when they when they're arguing in this, then you know that they're not listening to that other nonsense. Suffice it, the guy's basically a virtual pimp, right? He's a virtual pimp. Andrew Tate used to run a like a a, a porn website basically with women who are just with cams, right? So he's a virtual pimp. You know, these neighbors here, they went and sublet the apartment without permission. And that's really been pissing me off. Yeah, that's really pissing me off. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to text her right now. You sublet the apartment. So if there's, when I want need to kick them out, who am I talking to? What is this going on here? See, that's what I said about rules. I went to the Dominican Republic. There are no, she probably has no clue that she can't do this, Right. She's from the Dominican Republic. She probably has no clue that we don't do that. We don't roll like this here, right? That you just sublet the apartment without permission. What the? Okay, now there's a hole in the wall. Who's paying for that? 
Now I want to, uh, uh, well, where's the contract too? I want, I want that apartment. I want to start using it for Dara Fatah. Who are we talking, who are we contacting here? Chaos. Liability. Uh, Hadi says, driving makes me incredibly sleepy. I commute to work. I'm on the way home falling asleep. The only way to wake up is to put the music full blast. Is that okay? To be honest with you, if the only way for you to survive is that you're going to kill somebody else too. You're not going to kill yourself. You're going to kill somebody else. That's something that I'm going to return. I'm going to uh, pass pass that back to you as Abu Hanifa said, let the one who's tested by it decide. Because you know best if you're going about to kill some yourself and somebody else or not. So So what do you have to listen to, by the way? Yeah, what, uh, Ryan is saying you guys listen to Drake. Like, what are you putting on? Like, uh, the opera? <laughs> so what music are you putting on, right? Don't you have to shower 40 times or something if dog saliva gets on you? No. You don't, you, you don't have to do it once, right? Not at all. Not at all. Oh, see? They sublet the apartment, and there's a kid who makes a lot of noise here. And we're running a live stream. See, that's why you can't sublet an apartment. I would not a less sublet an apartment with, with kids who make a lot of noise. What if they brought a dog, too? Not that, it, again, it's not an adjacent issue. It's a noise issue. And they're filthy. And they're going to destroy the apartment and make it smell bad. That's it. I'm ending this live stream. I'm going to go knock on their door right now. If someone I know says Plague Pigeon is of good character and Dean approaches one of the women of my family, but he's in school, but he's been struggling to get a job, should his proposal be disregarded? Not necessarily if he has the potential to get a job and he's trying to get a job. Allah Ta'ala will, offer, will, will open a way for him if he's sincere about that. But as a wali, I, my condition would be show me the apartment that she's going to live in first. I'm not... Like physically speaking, where are you going to live? Is she going to live with you in your mom's basement? No, that's not going to happen. So as Wali, I would say, you know, you're a wonderful guy and everything, but where is my daughter going to live? Can you answer that question? Where is she going to eat? Can you show me a screenshot of your bank account? Like how is she going to eat? I need to know this as her Wali. I need to make sure that she's going to be able to buy a jacket in the winter, that she's going to eat. I mean, these are basic things. So you're a wonderful guy. Come back to me when you're actually ready. If you're Jay Perez, my offer, my job offers a free, a free base life insurance where the employee does not have to pay a dime. Yes, you consider that as a gift because you're not paying into it. They're just giving it to you. That's fine. Reed says, if we miss Salah due to travel and then make it up, are we sinful? Yes, we have to pray at all times. Okay. When you travel... Of course, there are rules for traveler's prayer, so don't, be, don't miss those and look at those rules. Okay. Sophia says, what if parents think their daughter is a failure if they don't have a job and make money? Then the parents don't understand and it's not necess- she's not a failure in the sight of Allah or the, fa- the sight of the scholars at all. 
Ashima Muhammad, I think men who are drawn to people like Andrew Tate don't have a good male example. I agree with you. Gabriel says, I'm not saying it's haram for women to have jobs, but it's just stating my observation from young Muslim men. Young Muslim men are becoming as radical on the opposite side as feminists on the opposite side. Okay. Can a wife travel with her younger kids from USA to another country to meet her parents, says Umm Musa, and, uh, because, you know, just fulfilling rights of parents, etc.? Yes, inshallah, that shouldn't be a problem. Because that's a need. There, there is a need in a sense. It doesn't have to be a life and death need, but some legitimate purpose. Let's see what's going on on Instagram. Could you mention the name of the book of the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And the two types of bid'ah. Yes, the bid'ah mufassiqah is a bid'ah where you contradict a, a an explicit text of Quran or Hadith. Bid'ah, uh, uh, and that makes you, you are Muslim, but your deeds are not accepted because you're an innovator until you fix your beliefs. Then there's bid'ah mukaffirah. That's, you make, you're a zindiq because you contradict a verse that is both qat'i and mutawatir. All right. In that case... It is, you, you are a bid'ah mukafir, indeed, you're outside of Islam. Manar Zaki. Manar Zaki, that's what it is. I said before, Manar Zaki. Manar Zaki. What's the best way to get your kids engaged and involved in Islam? Two things. A good Muslim friend environment and some of the nice nasheeds and, and Islamic songs that are on TV. Uh, the book about... The Rights of Allah, Kitab Ri'ayat Hukuqillah. That's the name of the book. Kitab Ri'ayat Hukuqillah. Okay. I am Bilal. Jazakallah khair. May Allah protect uh, you and protect this live stream and let us live and die giving sincere nasihat to the Muslims. Let's see Facebook, which we always ignore these poor people on Facebook. Because wait, it, but I I connected it. Why aren't the comments connected, right? What's up with that? How much scrutiny says Yusuf Ali should we apply to people who claim descent from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and using it to claim religious and worldly gain? Well, we just give them. We make sure we 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 must avoid what is forbidden to do towards them. So it's forbidden to disrespect them. To, to, to It's doubly forbidden to dishonor them, right? So we have to just make sure not to do that, just in case it's true, right? But we don't have to investigate, right? I'm working for the Middle East as a teacher, and I find the education system toxic, says Tawseef Zafar. Facebook now. Unprofessionalism, cultural blame on teachers despite unruly behavior. What would you advise? Get out of the Middle East. get out and i know teachers in the middle east who can't survive on the salary so they get there and they intentionally teach half the class or they take it lightly so that they could force the student to get uh, private tutoring and they 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 supplement their salary on private tutoring it's all corrupt the whole place from top to bottom well i went to a sheikh there he's a sheikh of a tariqa there and uh, and we were in my naive day and said what's the solution for the arabs he said, how much kerosene is there in the world? Light it all up. That's what he said. Light it up. <laughs> right? Big gas, as he said. 
traveling light agrees having a present mom is so important for emotionally and having a present dad is so important for social adjustment right i see people who are emotionally just fine they're emotionally perfectly fine but they're not adjusted to the world okay they're not adjusted is there a platform where we can ask questions relating to Madiki Fiqh, says Traveler, Traveling Light? Yes. And that platform is called ArcView. And you could take my class, which I teach, every Tuesday on Madiki Fiqh. And we're going to be going through the three elementary um, texts, in preparatory texts in Madiki Fiqh. And you can sign up for that, right? And pay 10 bucks a month, which is basically free, right? If you think about it. All right, and and you could study Madiki Fiqh, and we have a Q and A session in Madiki Fiqh. Uh, we have a Q and A session there. Okay. Is that last question? Anabi says, Anna B seventy seven. Is there any difference in the way males and females make salah? Physically, in in terms of words, no. But in terms of physicality, yes. In terms of physicality, a woman is 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 to regular keep her knees closer together. And her elbows in sujood closer together. What's the called iftirash for a man? Iftirash is to spread out. But for a woman, it should not be spread out. Okay? So the arms for a man should be spread out in sujood for a woman brought together. And uh, for the knees for a man are in normal position. But for a woman, they should be closed up a little bit. So a woman is, her prayer physically, may, her sujood may be more collected than a man's. A man will do iftirash with his arms out, if there's room, of course. All right, daydreaming of autumn. What is kitab at-tawahum? At-tawahum, with a wow there, tawahum, is, is a book on imagination. Using your imagination, and we use our imagination in many good ways, and he said the best way is to imagine going to the afterlife. That's what that book was about. All right, folks, hopefully by Monday, this camera situation will be fixed. I bet you we just shut down OBS and open it up again. It'll be fixed because there's always glitches. These are all man-made products that we're dealing with, and there's glitches all the time. So, Jazakumullah khairan for all of your uh, attention and taking this as a podcast. Support us at patreon.com backslash Safina Society. And for now, Jazakumullah khairan. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk wal asr. Inna al-insana lafi khusr. Illa al-ladhina amanu wa amilu salihat. وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر والسلام عليكم ورحمة